Well, turn in your Bibles to Acts 17. Acts 17, we're looking at the life of Paul. I mean, it's we're just really brief. We're not going into a lot of details. Paul was an incredible man used by God. His ministry carries on today with all the things that he did. You can put it this way. We say that Paul was a man used by God to take the good news message of Jesus Christ to the known world. Paul was a persecutor of the church who became an apostle of Jesus Christ. So when you think about it, wow, how, how is that amazing? In fact, we think about it, he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. I hope that all of you have an idea how it all fits, and you could say, this is one he wrote on the first missionary journey, this is what he wrote on the second, wrote on the third, all those kind of things, we'll talk about it. And he went on three missionary journeys, not counting his trip to Rome. And so we're going to see that. We've been looking at Paul's missionary journeys. This morning, we're seeing the, the second missionary journey. We saw his first journey. He went into the region, what was known as Galatia. He went there. He went to three, four, five places. They rent him out of town, beat him up. He comes back. And when he comes back, he then writes a letter to them, which we call the Galatian letter. Now he's on his second missionary journey, and we'll see how that ties together. Well, this morning, we'll look at it. Here's some questions to think about. How do we keep going in the midst of persecution. And, and we could say that we're not really very persecuted, but I think the persecution is coming more and more. I think it's getting worse. So I think then we're going to have to ask ourselves some questions. And then second, how do we share with religious people or philosophy-type people? We're going to see Paul has to deal with people who, who don't believe the Bible but are religious people. So how do we deal with that? And then the third thing, how important is the teaching of God's Word. We already know. We know that answer because as, we, as a church, we say the, the Bible is the key. It's the foundation for everything that we do. Well, let me start by saying this. You know, end times, everybody loves end times. When you start saying end times, when I say everybody, people like us all love it. We all say we want to know it. We don't know how it fits together. We understand it. Some people say, well, you know, the end times, it's pretty deep, and it's for mature believers. I've had people say that. Oh, don't teach end times to young believers, don't teach end times, but teach end times to mature believers. Well, you don't realize that when Paul went on his second missionary journey, he went to Thessalonica and he led people to Christ and they were brand new believers. And you know what he taught them? End time events. Yeah, he did. And in fact, we'll see it as we see some of his letters. And so it's, it's really, really powerful. So let's think where we are. Paul's on his second missionary journey and, and he stopped at the city of Philippi. Let me put this map up. If you remember, they left Antioch and they went back through Tarsus. They came here, they picked up Timothy and they wanted to go here and God said no and they wanted to go here and God said no and so they kept going all the way over to right here and then Paul had this vision that says, come over to Macedonia, that's northern Greece, this is Achaia, that's southern Greece. He said, come on over and give us, basically give us the message. Tell. So they left and they went over and they went to the city of Philippi and you remember we saw that last week where they went to the city of Philippi, and they were there, and they went down to the river, and they saw the woman Lydia, and they led her to Christ, and then there were some believers, and then they, Paul cast out a demon from this servant girl, or this girl was telling the fortune, and then they got all beat up, and they threw him into jail, and then there was the earthquake, and the Philippian jailer found out and, and basically asked the greatest question of all, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. So all of that happened, and then they let him out of jail, and they wanted to let him go, and Paul said, no, you can't let us just go, because we're Roman citizens, and you beat us up, and you put us in jail without a trial or anything. So they asked Paul finally, would you just leave, and, and we'll let you go. And, and then, So he went back to Lydia's house, and then they left, and that was the end of chapter 16. And so what happens now? They're going to leave Philippi and they're going to go to Thessalonica. 
And if you notice chapter 17, verse 1, and we'll get a map here in just a second. And when they had traveled through Annapolis and Apollina, and they came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. You remember in Philippi, there wasn't what? What wasn't there? It wasn't a synagogue. It wasn't even 10 men. So they go. And so here's what happens. They leave Philippi, and they go to Thessalonica. And it's called Thessalonica today. It's still there. The city's still there. And so they go, and it says they came to a synagogue of the Jews. And so Paul probably said, you know, because Paul always said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Even though he was an apostle to the Gentiles, he usually, if there were Jewish people in a community, he would go in there first and present the message. And, and then, then usually they would reject and he would go to the Gentiles. That's kind of his, his plan. And so he goes to Thessalonica. And here's what, here's what he says. It, it, that's the he says, he was explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I'm proclaiming to you, is the Christ. So he said, if you look in the scripture... And it talks about how the Messiah would suffer, Isaiah 53. He would rise from the dead, Psalm 16, and saying that this Jesus, the one I'm telling you about, he's the one who's to die and rise again, and he did. He's the Messiah. So he's actually teaching them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one told from the Old Testament. And, and so it was amazing. Look at chapter 17. Look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded. By the way, that's salvation. Believing is being persuaded of some. People always say, what's, the, what's believing? I always say, believing is taking God at his word. But believing is actually being persuaded that something is true. That's what, you believe it because you go, yeah, I, 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 that's true. Yeah, I believe it. And so that it says, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks. That means Greek people who were actually in the synagogue. And a number of leading women. Famous, I mean, the main, a lot of the wealthier women who were, had places of responsibility, I mean, and, and they all kind of joined together. Well, this sounds really good, except here come some Jews, here come some people, and, and when they heard about it, some of them were persuaded. Jews became jealous. They formed this mob, and they basically ran them out of town, and they basically said you had to leave. So they ran them out of town, and some, it says some believed, them were persuaded, and then they, they let, ran them out of town. And so immediately they sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, where they arrived and went into where? Where did they go first? Synagogue of the Jews. Well, where is Berea? Well, so Paul went from Philippi to Thessalonica. They were there. When you read the letter to the Thessalonians, it appears they may have been in Thessalonica between three and four weeks, maybe more than that, but it does talk about that he taught at least three times in the synagogue. So he may have been there more than a month, but he taught at least three times before they ran him out of town. And when they ran him out of town, he leaves Thessalonica and he goes to Berea. Now, Berea was really a, really a unique town, and, 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 and they searched the Scriptures. Look at Acts 17, look at verse 10. Uh, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, there, these were more noble. Now, listen to this. It sounds like, you know, I'm not sure if I'm the Thessalonians. I like this sentence in the Bible. He says, now, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see whether these things were so. 
So when they got to Berea and they started telling them, the, the Jews in Berea said, give it to us. Let, let, let's look at the Bible. What does the Bible say? Does, does this fit Isaiah 53? Does this fit Psalm 16? This, and they begin to look at it. And so Luke writes and says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because the people in Thessalonica, they believed, but they didn't really search scriptures. But the Bereans did. And throughout history, there's, there's a, you'll find that if you looked up and put the word Berea in, you'll find that there's some churches called like Berea Baptist Church or Berea because they named themselves after the group that searched the scriptures, okay? In fact, there's even a kind of a, not a denomination necessarily, but there's a group of some people who call themselves Bereans because their goal is to search the scripture. So here's this city called Berea. They go in there and they search the, uh, they do it. And so look again, 11, they were more noble-minded. They searched the scripture. You know, that's the goal, isn't it? The goal is that people search the scripture, that even when we come in here and I teach you and we're looking at the Bible, you're searching the scripture as we go down it, but it could be that you go home and you say, okay, this is what we were taught in Sunday school today or in grow group today. Does it match scripture? Does this true? And what, what are we seeing in, in 2 Samuel? Does, does what we teach match the Bible? And, and it should. Listen, I've been places where what they said didn't match the scripture. In fact, sometimes what they said didn't match the verse they were using. And you want to look at it and say, are you reading the same verse I'm reading? Because you're saying something different than that verse says. And so the bottom line is we want to be like Bereans, that we, we, we receive the word with eagerness. Yes, it's the Bible. And we examine the scriptures every day, daily, to see whether these things were so. So I hope that every one of us in this room uh, digging the scripture, looking at it, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman need not be ashamed, handling accurately, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that, that's really the plan. And, and so that's what we want. Well, what happens? What happens there? What do you think happened? Anybody want to say anything? They stayed there for like three years. Is that what happened? Anybody know? No, they didn't. Verse 12, therefore many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea, they came agitating, stirring up the crowd, and they had to, had to leave again. What if every place you went, they ran you out of town? You know, you might be to say, maybe I'm not doing everything just right. I don't know. I don't, you know, it's just, but it, the truth is he's given the grace message. He's telling people about Jesus, how he died and rose again. He's telling them that he's the fulfillment of the Messiah, that he's the one. And some, some people don't like that. And they basically run him out of town. And so they left, and of course, notice it says, immediately the brethren sent Paul to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. They escorted Paul, this is verse 15, and brought him to where? Where did they take him to? As far as Athens. And he received a command for Silas and Timothy to come as soon as they possibly can. So Paul leaves, well, let me, let me let's see, let me go. Through. Yeah, so Paul leaves Berea, and he goes down to Athens. Athens is famous. Athens is famous for philosophy and uh, great thinkers and warriors, and it's a, a famous city. And now this is now Macedonia's north. This is Achaia. This is the southern part of Greece. And so he's made a bit, he's gone a lot of places already. Think about it. He left Tarsus, went through Derby, Iconium, Lystra, all those places, ended up going to Troas, ended up going to Philippi, ended up going to Thessalonica, ended up going to Berea, ended up going to Athens. And why does he keep leaving? Because he'll stay there for a while, but before you know it, there's a riot, there's a problem, there's some, and they, have, they run him off, and he has to go somewhere else. 
Now, Athens was an amazing town. Look at verse 16. It says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So what happens? He gets into this city that is full of idols and philosophy. There is a place called Mars Hill in Athens in which all the thinkers would gather every day and think. Does that sound good to you? It sounds like idiots to me. But anyway, they get, they're all there and they're all telling things that are new and here's what I think about this and here's what I think about this. And so that's what they are. They're, they're, you know, they do that. And, and so what Paul says, what he was waiting while he's waiting for them at Athens, he's waiting for uh, Silas and Timothy to come. His spirit was being provoked from within. In other words, it was really bothering him because he saw a city full of what? of idols and false gods and everything else. And listen, the people there, they, uh, the people were religious, but they worshiped idols. And what we know from history is that there were all kind of statues and things about gods and the gods that they worshiped. And then every home had their own God. They had a God that usually was an idol that they'd place out front and they would say, this will protect us from evil. And so there are idols everywhere. And then there's the philosophy of people everywhere. Now look at this. It says, and some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. You can see Paul. He goes to, the, he, he's talking and he's talking about what he believes. And some of these people come up to him and say, what are you talking about? And some were saying, what does this idol babbler wish to say? The little Greek says, what does this seed picker say? Because what they were saying is that he's got this message and just like a farmer who throws out a bunch of junk and somebody comes along and picks up a little bit of it. And so they're saying, you don't really know anything. Say, they don't think Paul knows anything. You know why? Because they're smart. And you know, we got a whole world full of smart people. And if you read the book of Romans, it says, considering themselves to be wise, they became foolish. And you know, sometimes you're too smart for your own good because you know everything. And the philosophers there, they, they thought they knew everything. And so notice there's the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Epicurean, they, uh, the Epicurean people followed this guy named Epicurus. Epicurus, he said, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of eat, drink, and why? For tomorrow you may die. You know where that came from? Epicurean. The idea was, he said this. He says, listen, the end... The, the end of man is pleasure. You should just enjoy life because you're going to die and then it'll be over. So the best thing to do as an Epicurean, you know, I'd be a good group to join, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd eat, drink, be, let's just party because, you know, eventually we're going to die anyway. And, and so their goal was enjoyment. And so there were people who were Epicurean, all right? But then there were the Stoics. That, you know, what do you hear when you hear the word Stoic? You think Stoic, but it, it comes really from a guy named Zeno. Zeno thought that the world was created by fire and the world would end in fire. And the best thing to do is just live good until the fire comes and you die. And neither Epicurean or Stoics believed in a life after death. Epicurus says, have a great time because eventually you're going to die. And the Stoics said, uh, live right, live right because eventually you're going to die. And some people would say, why do you want to live right if you're going to die? I mean, this, but, you know, so that was the philosophies that were there. And they wanted to know, if you look at verse 19 of chapter 17, and they wanted to know what Paul taught. And so they took him, verse 19, it says, they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, which is the Mars Hill, 
And they said, may we know what this new teaching in which you are proclaiming. Now watch, they say, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears and we want to know what these things mean. What was the strange thing? That Jesus was God, that Jesus was the Son of God who came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again. Death and resurrection of the Messiah who would give eternal life. Now, why do they want to know? Look at the next verse, verse 21. For all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So they just like to go there and talk about, what have you heard? Well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think. And so they go back and forth. But then they hear this man named Paul, and he's talking about life and eternal life. And he's talking about death and resurrection. And these people, they, they wanted to know what Paul taught. They, they've been hearing this. In fact, they said it's a strange teaching that someone would come back from the dead. Remember, what did the Stoics believe? It's going to end in fire. And the Epicurean people said, eat, drink, and marry because tomorrow you're going to die. And so when he's saying that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again and whoever believes in him, well, what? We'll have life forever. And they're going, we don't get this. We don't get this. And so Paul is going to go talk to them. And what, what he says. So Paul stood in the midst of the Aragopius and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. Now, Paul could have stood up and said, First of all, I see all your idols. You are idiots. Y'all <laughs> idols? And I mean, you guys are idiots and you think you know something and you don't. But he doesn't do that. He's a lot smarter than that. Because sometimes we say, you just don't know anything. And they look at us and say, okay, well, then you can't teach me. Before you know it, it's an argument. Paul didn't say, you don't know anything. In fact, he bragged on them. He said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. And you could see him go, yep, we, we are. Yeah, yeah, we are. And so Paul is not getting on them. He's going to figure out how to reach them. And so look what he says. I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Let me stop. See, they were so religious. They had all these gods. But they had said, what if there's a God that we don't know and we offend him? And he'll get mad at us. So let's make a statue to the unknown God. And so they think that kind of covers our base. If there's a God, we don't know. So what does Paul do? Paul says, hey, I was passing through and I saw your objects of worship. And I found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Well, guess what? Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, because you don't know who this God is, I'm going to proclaim to you. You didn't know who the real God is? I'm fixing to tell you who the real God is. The unknown God that you don't know? I'm about to tell you who he is. And he told them about one God who would judge, and God is not an idol. He's going to come judge the world, and there's a Savior. And, and then he says this. He says, because God has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all people. How? By rising him from, raising him from the dead. See, Paul's been telling them about this Jesus who died and rose again. They want to know about it. He says, okay, I went through. You guys are really religious. Almost could say, I'm really proud of you that you're religious. However, you've got a statue out there. You've got a little deal out there that says, unknown God, I'll tell you who he is. He's the one that's going to judge the world. 
He's the creator of the world. He's the judge of the world. And he has set a day in which he will judge the whole world how through a man. And that man is the one I've been telling you about that dies and rises again. And he's appointed him, having furnished proof to all people by what? By raising him from the dead. So Paul stands in front of all these philosophers and tell them, uh, you missed who the unknown God is. I'll tell you who he is. He's the real God. He's not an idol. He's not a statue. He's the real God, and he's going to judge the world, and he sent a Messiah, and he sent a Savior, and that Savior is the one who died and rose again. How did they respond to that? When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, now did either Epicureans or Stoics believe in life after death? No. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to scoff. Why, that's ridiculous. But others said, wait a minute. We shall hear from you again concerning this. Maybe, maybe we ought to talk some more. Maybe we ought to talk some more. And so, some believed. Everywhere Paul goes, some believe and some what? Reject. It's always that way. When you have opportunities to talk to people, you're going to share your faith, and sometimes some will what? They'll believe the message. They'll be persuaded. They'll trust in Jesus for eternal life. And then there'll be some who say, I don't believe that. And they won't trust. Now, guess what? They don't run Paul out of town. He leaves anyway. And I think that if you look at Paul's life, and now I'm speculating, <laughs> I, think he was, I think he was bothered. I think he went to all these philosophers and he told the truth of the death and resurrection of Christ and not much happened. And he may have thought, I, I didn't do that good. I think he did great. I think he was so wise. He knew exactly how to reach these people. And some of them he reached. But he leaves. And he leaves. And, and in chapter 18, he, he goes to, uh, if you look at chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And after these things, he left Athens, and he went to Corinth. Oh, wow. Corinth is such a sweet city, right? Is that, when you say Corinth, what do y'all think? Oh, you think, man, you think Las Vegas. I mean, you think about the worst town you, you could get. Las Vegas, so I mean, uh, when, when you leave, is this thing working? There he goes. He leaves Athens, and he goes over to Corinth. Corinth is one of the major cities in the world, one, probably the most pagan city in the world. I mean, at least in Athens, they had the Stoics who said, live good. But when you get to Corinth, you've got, you've got every bad thing you could ever think about. And look what happened in chapter 18, verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having been recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, who's the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. See, Claudius said, Jews can't live here anymore. You know throughout history, people, Jews, people are always run out of, out of countries. And so the Rome, he says, uh, no Jew can be in Rome. So they all left. And Aquila and Priscilla came to Corinth, and they met Paul. And verse 3 says, he, he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he worked with them because they were tent makers. Paul was a tent maker? Sure he was. Was Paul trained in the Bible and the great teacher? Uh, right. But, you know, every Jewish boy had to have a trade. Because the, the tradition was, if you don't teach him a trade, you teach him to steal. So Paul, what was his trade? He could make tents. And he got with these two people, Aquila and Priscilla, who are Jewish people who just got run out of, the, of Rome, and he stays with them and makes tents. And, you know, obviously it doesn't say anything, but whether they were believers or not, they became believers because they're with Paul and they help him in ministry. 
And so he starts off and he, and he starts teaching, and guess what? Uh, people, Silas and Timothy come down and they begin to get the thing, and the Jewish people say, get out of here. And so he goes to the Gentiles and he starts his ministry there, but he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And here's what happens. The Lord said to Paul by a vision at night, do not be afraid any longer. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you. No one will attack you or harm you. Notice this next statement. For I have many people in this city. What city? What The worst city? There are a whole bunch of believers there already. And he's got Aquila and Priscilla and he's got Silas and Timothy and they've been teaching and what he's playing is to teach the Bible. And so look at verse 11. And so he settled there for a year and six months teaching the word of God. That's what he did. Okay, I'm going to have to go just a touch faster. So he he taught for a year and six months. And here's, we're going to see this now and then we'll see uh, next week. That you remember on his first missionary journey, how many letters did Paul write? Come on, you know what? On his first missionary journey, how many did he write? One. On his second missionary journey, how many did he write? Two. And so he's now at Corinth, and he's going to write two letters. Guess who he's going to write to? The Thessalonians. And he's going to write first and second Thessalonians. Now, we're going to watch very briefly right now, first Thessalonians. So he writes them. And they had believed Paul's message. So look what he says. He said, for this reason, we constantly thank God for you when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the words of mere men, but as it really is the word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. So he writes them and says, when we came and we told you the truth about Jesus, you didn't just say that's just some message. You believed it as the word of God and you believed. Isn't that great? That happened to you, did it not? You heard the message about Jesus Christ and you thought, this isn't just somebody saying this, this is the word of God and that Jesus is the Savior and I'm believing in him for eternal life, right? That happened. Well, look what else he wrote. He said, you're, they were going through persecution. He says, for you brothers and sisters have been become Im- imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, they were under great persecution. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. He says, we're all going through persecution. In fact, he writes them and says, I told you, everybody's going to be persecuted. When you stand for Christ, do you, do you believe that we're going to be persecuted? Eventually, we probably will. It's happened almost every place in the world in which there are Christians and, and either governments or a nation, whatever happens. Sometimes people turn against believers, sometimes at the very start, sometimes at the end. So then he writes on and he says, he encouraged them to live godly. Look what he says to them. This is the will of God, your sanctification, being set apart. That is, and he said, he's going to get real specific, abstain from sexual immorality. Let each of you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. He says you need to live righteously and godly, especially in the sexual area. Because in that part of the world, of course, Corinth, Athens, that part of the world, I mean, sex, there's everybody. It was just wild. And then he reminds them, about the end times. I didn't put the verses up because there are a lot, but here's what he said. Somebody had told them that if you were a believer and you died before Jesus came back, you would be left. So if Grandma Johnson died and then Jesus came back, she's left. We all get to go, but they're left. And so Paul writes them and he says, listen, first of all, I want you to understand, and this is the word of the Lord, that those who have died will not proceed 
Uh, we'll proceed those. We're not going to, we're not going to go ahead of them. They're going to go before us. He said, for I tell you by the word of the Lord that the Lord shall defend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise up. Grandma Johnson's going to rise up, and then we who are alive and remain to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, what? We'll always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. So he writes them and tells them about the rapture. New Christians know about end times. And he said, I just want you to make sure you understand. Nobody's going to be left behind. The dead will be raised first, and we who are alive remain to be caught up together with them, and we'll meet the Lord in the air. Next week, we'll look at Second Thessalonians. Real quickly, just like we did this. That's a real brief summary. It's not the whole book. Of course it's not. It's just barely a few verses. So, let's expect persecution as we stand for Christ. Let's expect it. I think it's coming. Um... More than we could imagine. Because we've lived in a country that was founded on Christian principles and things, and we've gone 200 and something years, and we've just been hanging in there, and suddenly that foundation is being eroded away. And so I think persecution's coming. I think unbelievers will come after us. But you know what? Believers are going to come after us too. Because we hold to a grace message, and there are people out there who are, and I say believers, there are people in other churches that do not believe what we believe, and they attack us. And so when you say, I believe salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life, there are some believers that will say, you're wrong, and they come after you. And then there'll be believer, unbelievers who, of course, attack us. So let's expect that persecution comes as we stand for Christ. Second, let's be ready to share our faith, and let's use wisdom. Now, I'm going to show something up there real quickly, and then we'll get to grow groups. But look at this right here. Paul says, how do you share your faith with wisdom? He says, Praying at the time for us that God will open up to us a door for the word. God's going to open up a way for you to share your faith. And then he says that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to proclaim it. He says when I give the message, I need to be very clear on what the message is. And then he says we need to live with wisdom toward outsiders so that they can see our lives and then our Speech must be seasoned basically with grace seasoned so that we'll know how to respond to each person. So Paul says when you talk to people, uh, you, you want to live in such a way, you, you want to you pray for opportunities, you want to live in such a way that you're going to be able to touch their life, and when you share the message with them, you want to share it with wisdom so they can understand it. So be ready. Paul did it with the uh, people in Athens. I mean, they don't believe anything, and he gets up and says, oh, you, you guys have an unknown God, I'm going to tell you who he is. I'm going to enlighten you on your God. And then let's understand the end times. Oh, I love end times, don't you? Why? Well, because it's a comfort to us, but it's also so that we can tell other people, and let's just put it right up there for us. And if you remember, Jesus died and rose again. The very next event is the rapture. He writes to the people in First Thessalonians. He said, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, the dead, and Christ rise. First we are alive and remain. We'll all be caught up together with him in the clouds, and thus we'll meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture. He told them about that. In the second letter, he tells them about this. Tells them about the second coming. So we'll see that next week. And we're just doing this briefly. We're just going through fast, seeing Paul's life, ministry, and letters.